Today, uh, we're going to be continuing the By Faith series. This will be our second week in it. And um, um, I want to draw your attention. We don't have the sign on this side. It's facing the other way. But as you walked in, you should have seen a sign for our new 90-day initiative, which is 90 days of building your faith. And so we want that to correspond with our sermon series, that we're all growing in our faith. We're growing in our trust in God. And so what this first month of January we want to be about in this 90-day initiative is we need you to take stock of where your faith currently is. Where are you trusting God in your life and where aren't you trusting God in your life? If we're going to move forward as a church together in our faith, if we're going to move forward and see what God has in store for us in this next chapter, well, one, we have to trust that there is a next chapter We have to trust that he has more in store for us. He has good in store for us, right? We have to trust those things. But we also have to grow our own personal faith in God, in our own personal lives, so that that can impact us as a congregation as well. We're a collective. We're a collective. And so it's so important that this month we're going to take that time and we're going to be seeking out, God, where do I need to trust you more? Where is my faith lacking? Where is my faith lacking? And so we're going to be pushing that every week. This is something that only you can do on your own, right? Like we can't force this. We can't uh, have like a meeting where we all share those things. Hopefully in tribe groups, you're going to be talking about that a little bit. But, but it's something that you have to take stock of on your own with the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, um, if you have, uh, maybe you find that you have a roadblock in your faith. Maybe you find that you're having a hard time trusting God about certain things. I want you to know I would love to meet with you about that. I'd love to talk. I'd love to listen. I'd love to see what God has to say about that, okay? Um, As a reminder, what we've done is um, on the TV stand over here, right around the corner, we have uh, magnets that just say, do you trust him? That's all it says. But we want you to just put that on your fridge, put that other places, right, where you can be reminded every day when you see that, like, do I really trust God? Do I really trust him? Again, this whole series is about how much we actually trust that God is who he says he is. He's trustworthy, but we have to do something about that. Amen? You with me? Okay. Well, that's what this next 90-day initiative is about, and so we're going to be growing month by month in our faith together. Okay. Uh, Today, we're going to be um, going over the story of Abel in Scripture. And so uh, in Hebrews 11, which we went over last week, Abel is the first person that the writer of Hebrews uses to, um, to show an example of what great faith looks like. And so what this series is largely going to be, we're going to be going through name by name and really unpacking, like, why did the Hebrew writer, uh, which we don't know who it was for sure, that's why I'm using a vague term there, but the Hebrew writer, why did they, inv- why did they use these people? Why did they use these exact stories? And so we're going to be digging into those things quite a bit. So uh, first, we're going to be getting into the story of Abel, specifically Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, verses 4 through 12. If you scan that sticker, um, you can get to our website, or if you go to our um, version, if you open your version, you can go to our um, kind of online bulletin that you can find on version, and it'll have all these verses as well. But that's Genesis 4. 4 through 12. Let's read. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth 
to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if, you do, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops to you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. To follow that up, I just wanted to read the Hebrews verse, um, Hebrews 11, chapter 4. And that says this, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous, When God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. So just to start off with, like, I need you to think, like, Abel's parents, Adam and Eve, walked with God. Just try to to imagine that. Abel's parents walked with the living God, like actually walked with him. Not like when we think of walking with Jesus and him being with us, right? No, it was like God was right here in fullness. They walked with him. It's wild, right? They were the only people who could describe what God looks like, how he moves, what his voice fully sounds like, what he smells like. Only Adam and Eve were able to do that. And so they would have absolutely told their kids all those things, right? Like, they would have shared the stories of the garden and shared how amazing it was and who God, what, what all those things about God, all those attributes of God, they would have shared those with Cain and Abel. And remember, there was no Bible, there was no scriptures or anything at this time. It was all like the beginning of everything still. And so all they had was just Adam and Eve sharing This is who God is. This is where we come from. This is what we're designed for. This is who we were made to be. And they would have heard these things, again, growing up. But that knowledge and understanding, just like knowledge and understanding for us, right, it doesn't lead to right decision-making necessarily, does it? All of the understanding, knowledge in the world does not necessarily mean we're going to start making the right decisions. In the story of Cain and Abel, we see the result of one person's faith in God leading to an obligatory religious lifestyle and another's faith leading to a relationship with their creator and sustainer. One person's knowledge and understanding of God led to one type of response and the other led to another type of response. Abel loved God. Cain served God. God. There's a difference. 
I want to say that again. Abel loved God. Cain served God. There is a big difference. So the main point I want to make today is that real faith, authentic faith, begins with worship. Real faith begins with worship. And again, we talked about worship um, a few weeks ago, and just it's, it's a lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle. It's not singing songs, okay? Just need to make that clear right at the beginning. Get that mindset out that it's not singing songs, okay? Worship is every decision that we make, everything, okay? It's how we live our lives, okay? So how do we worship by faith? Well, first, we start with the heart, We start with the heart. Abel's offering here, remember, it wasn't part of the law code. The law code was not written yet. It wouldn't be established until 26 generations later. 26 generations later is when the law code came in with Moses. But at this point, there was no law code. There was no demands from God. This is what you must do. This is how you must live your life. That hadn't existed yet. Okay, so, so Abel was expressing what the law would later try to instill in the people, a heart for God. Abel was doing that naturally, out of a love for God. He put, Abel put God first above all else in his life. Abel loved God. He loved God and he expressed it to the best of his abilities. He didn't do it out of abundance, Right? He, wasn't, he wasn't expressing his worship for God out of abundance or convenience. Right? He was doing it out of a heart for God, out of his love for God, out of putting God first in his life. This is what a heart for God looks like. It doesn't always make sense to the rest of this world. It's not always practical in our sense of what practical is. Right? It's sometimes, it's often radical, Right? And, and I want to just give an illustration of that. When we read uh, Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9, this is Mary Magdalene and, um, and her offering when she anointed Jesus' feet, right? And it says, while he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman, this is Mary Magdalene, came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those presents were saying indignantly to one another, why waste this perfume? Like, why waste it? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So, uh, again, in John's, uh, in, the, in the gospel of John, that account, we see that it was Judas who made those accusations against Mary, okay? So, what we're looking at here was Mary's heart versus Judas's heart in this moment, It was Mary's heart for Jesus, this love above all else, that drove her to do what she did. Her great love 
for Jesus and what he did for her, taking her in, saving her, making her part of a family, not rejecting her like the world did, but loving her. And that caused this radical response. Could that have been sold? Yes, absolutely. Could they have done a lot with that money? Absolutely, they could have. But worship isn't about fiscal responsibility. Worship isn't about worldly practicality. Do you hear me? Worship is brazen. Worship is free. Worship is radical. It's unhindered. Like David when he danced before the Lord. It doesn't make sense. It's maybe embarrassing to other people that don't get it. But that is a heart after God. Unhindered. A heart that does not care what this world thinks. It doesn't care what its neighbor thinks. Our worship has got to come from a deep well of love and adoration of our Savior that supersedes all worldly practical wisdom. That's where it has to come from. And we do this because this is the type of love that God shows us. Amen? We reciprocate as best we can. We're never reached in fullness. We will never love him the same way he loves us. It's impossible. But we should strive to reciprocate what we are capable of. And what we're capable of should grow over time, should grow because of, we, of the goodness of God that we see in our lives consistently, constantly. That outpouring of love and good and guidance that he gives us should result in us saying, thank you, God. Thank you. Extravagant, outrageous love should make us, make us say, Father, this is too much. <laughs> Father, your love for me, it's too much. But it is never too much, is it? It's never too much for him. So I want to ask this question first. How have you traditionally responded to God's love for you? How have you responded in your life thus far to that extravagant outpouring of love that God has shown you? What has the response been? Not an understanding again. It's not knowledge. It's a response back. What has your response been? Have you acknowledged it in the first place? And what have you done to try to reciprocate in any way? What have you done? How much of your heart is really given over to God. If we want to show our trust in God, we have to start by authentically acknowledging who he is in every area of our lives. That's where we start. That's worship. Acknowledging who he is in every single area of our lives. Where is your heart for God today, Village Church? Where is our heart for God today? So we start with the heart. Secondly, we find opportunities for more. We find opportunities for more. In Hebrews 11 there, in that verse, it says, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. Okay? Well, that Greek word for better, uh, play on, means more. So actually, that verse should say, By faith, Abel brought God a more offering than Cain did. 
Uh, some translations say a more excellent. I think the King James says a more excellent. But that word excellent is not there. It's just more. It was a more sacrifice that Abel offered to God. Before he did anything else, Abel chose to give back a portion of what God had given him, and it was from the firstborn of his flock. It was the first fruits. You might have heard that term in church over your life, but it was the first fruits that he gave back to God. It wasn't leftovers. It wasn't what was in abundance. He took from the very first, the cream of the crop, the best of the best, is what he started with. Because he knew, right, that whatever he gave back to God was really God's in the first place. Amen? That's what made this that more offering because it was, it was Abel's heart on display for God. And again, remember, there was no commandment here. There was no tithe set in motion here at all. This was just Abel's heart saying, God, you've given me all of this. Like, here, take the best of the best back. You deserve it. And you know, on the flip side of that, we have to think, like, if that's the way that Abel has shown us how to worship God from the best of the best of our lives, then we have to think, you know, if we offer anything to God flippantly, what does that say to him? I want you to think about that. If we offer something to God flippantly, what does that tell him? If we just say, okay, here, I'm just, here, here's my obligation. I know I'm supposed to do this, so here. What does that tell him? What does that speak back to him? This extravagant love, again, that we just talked about. The incredible heart that God has shown us time and time again. What does it say to him? Abel wanted to go above and beyond for God, not because God demanded it, but because Abel believed that, that Abel's more is exactly what God deserved. You hear me when I say that? Abel believed that his more, his more offering is what God deserved. I just... Uh, while I was preparing this, I was thinking of that like kind of flippant attitude of, um, of offering to God, and I'm guilty of it too. Like it, we just get into a routine sometimes, and you just kind of write the check, or you serve, or you do whatever, right? You pray to God, you, you read your Bible, whatever, and it's like this flippant thing that we just kind of do to cross, cross off the list, right? It's going through the motions like we talk about. And I had that, this scene in my mind of... Um, one of my favorite movies is the Count, of, the Count of Monte Cristo. I don't know if anybody's seen that one, but like, but like, you know when they like throw the food in there and they just like slide it across to, to him and it's like slop every single time. And I just think like, is that what we're doing with our offering to God? Is it just like a, a, a totally indifferent guard that like is like giving food out every day and he just like opens the thing and throws it in there, doesn't care if it makes a mess, doesn't care what's in that thing at all. He just knows like this is my job, this is what I'm supposed to do. You see what I'm saying? We've got to be so careful that our heart is in it and that it's a more offering, that it's not, that it's not just like out of obligation again, that it's not something that we're doing just to check a box. Our worship has got to be from the right place because God deserves our more. He deserves our more. 
So when I ask, do you care how your offering is presented and received? Do you care how your worship is offered to him and received by him? Have you ever maybe even considered that? I would challenge you to consider that today, to begin considering how, what is the state of your heart when you worship God with your life in everything that you do, right? What is the state of your heart in those things? And do you care? Do you care how that is received by him? Our actions show whether or not we give God priority in our lives or if he's more of an afterthought. And faith requires making God the priority. If we live by faith, it means that we are giving God priority over all things in our lives. And the priorities, right, if we want to identify what are the priorities in our lives, guess what? It's what we give our more to. Do you hear that? You can easily identify what priorities are in your life by what you give your more to. More time, more effort, right? More love. That is what you give your more to. And I'm not saying that the things that you're currently giving your more to are bad things. Hopefully you're giving time to your family. You're giving time to your loved ones, you know? But like many times growing up in the church, I, I, and when I was in leadership and stuff, I began hearing this... Um, this mentality behind how we're supposed to structure our priorities. And it was always, okay, you got to start with God, God's number one priority, right? And then underneath that, then your priority is family, okay? And then underneath that is ministry. So ministry always comes third, okay? So I would always hear that, right? But it was always like, okay, but God is up here, and then so everything else is, is down here, but like, but where's God in this? And our priorities, the way they should actually look is family and God. God in our family, God in our ministry, God in our work, God in our personal lives, God in our free time, right? God in, in the quiet moments that you think nobody's watching, God in those moments. That is how you identify where your priority is, and that's how you give priority to God, is that he gets the first fruits of everything on that priority list. That is how we live by faith. And we say, God, whatever you've given me, this family, these people that I love, these people that care for me, God, these are yours. This family is yours. God, this job that you've given me to be able to provide for my family and that paycheck that I get every month or every two weeks or whatever it looks like for you, right? God, that is from you. It's not because of me. That's because you have blessed me with that. And so, God, here's first fruits back. My time, my energy, my health, my well-being, all of those things, my abilities, my talents, right? The things that I know I'm good at. God, God, you deserve the more in those things. What is your more today? What is your more today? Where is it at? And what more does God deserve from you? What more does God deserve from you? Do you know that he deserves from you? Lastly, we don't stop. Abel still speaks even though he is dead.
That line is really powerful. Hebrews 11.4, that last little sentence, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. So again, let's put, put our mindset in this first family, right? Abel is murdered by his brother. There's four human beings on the earth. And a brother murders the other brother. Can you imagine how Adam and Eve felt in that moment when they discovered? Imagine the heart of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve could have quit at that moment. They could have given up and they could have stopped. It wasn't long after Cain and Abel even that mankind began to turn away from God. They knew the stories just as Cain and Abel did. I mean, Adam and Eve lived a long time. So there was generations and generations that would have heard the stories of the garden firsthand. But even by the time Noah comes around, most of mankind has completely gone the other way. It didn't take long. Adam and Eve could have quit at that point. And I don't know that most of us would have blamed them, amen? They think of this timeline, right? They sin, they get kicked out of the garden, and that brought a curse on mankind, on themselves, and everyone else that would come after. And now they are standing at the grave of their son, murdered by their other son. Remembering, God, what did we do? God, what did we do? All for some knowledge, for some understanding. What did we do, God? But they knew the goodness of God. They lived it. And you can't forget something like that. You can't forget that level of experience with God. So even in the face of devastation, they remembered the goodness of God and that, they didn't, that he didn't cause any of this brokenness. They did. They remembered those things. And I think in that moment, they probably gave up on themselves one more time in realization, we can't do this. Can't believe we even tried. They trusted the God Abel died for. They chose to trust the God that Abel died for. And you know what? Yes, Abel was mur murdered, but if he was standing here today with us, I think he'd say, so what? So what? Because he knows what God looks like. He knows how God moves. He knows what God's voice sounds like. He knows how God smells. He is experiencing firsthand now what he had only heard about from his parents. He experienced all those things for in that moment, and Abel is still worshiping the Father to this day. 
Abel is still worshiping the Father to this day. We know that Adam and Eve didn't give up because the story continued. Amen? If they would have given up, the Bible would have been pretty short. You would have had a creation account, and that's about it. But they didn't give up. They kept going. You know, uh, I, was, I just read this article this last week, um, and uh, in, uh, they did a recent, the Barna Group did a recent study, and it said that 51% of pastors this last year um, say that they have considered uh, quitting. And that's um, a record high, you know. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, pastors are unique. I, you know, like you hear about teachers, record numbers considering quitting. Nurses, you know, frontline workers, you know, every field pretty much is considered. We're seeing it in the workforce. You know, there's a lot of reasons behind that, but some of it certainly is people are just done. They just can't take it anymore. It's too much. It's too difficult. And so they want to give up. They want to stop. And I'm not going to lie to you, like, I've been part of that 51% this last year. Like, I've considered it. I'm not going to. I know that I can't. I know what I'm called to. But, like, it's popped in my head many times. Like, maybe I should just walk away from all this. Maybe it's too much. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe, God, you haven't called me here. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm, I'm too broken. Maybe this isn't something that I can continue. You know, like all those lies and all those fears that you kind of let in over time of just thinking, like, I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. I can't do this, possibly. It's not, it's not you know, whatever. Like, and I've, it's in those moments I forget the goodness of God. And, you know, when the unexpected happens, when radical, unexpected changes hit in our lives, when dreams evaporate right in front of your eyes, it's hard not to consider walking away. It's hard not to consider those things. And I'm, again, I'm going to tell you, I know that I'm not the only one who's experienced hardship in this last year or two. But I want to share what's kept me grounded The first thing is the realization that just because circumstances have changed, God hasn't. Just because circumstances in my life have changed, God hasn't changed. And you know what? His call on my life hasn't changed either. God hasn't changed. His plan for me hasn't changed. His purpose in my life hasn't changed. His love for me hasn't changed. His provision in my life hasn't changed. His call in my life, it hasn't changed. God is who he says he is or he isn't. Amen? Circumstances should have absolutely no bearing on who God is. Our circumstances should have zero bearing because you know what? We live in a broken world. And we cause a lot of that brokenness. So we cannot look at God and say, how in the world could you have let this happen? No, he grieves with us. His heart breaks right along with us at the brokenness of this world. But he gives us a way out. He gives us a way through the brokenness. His son Jesus died to give us rest, to give us peace, to give us hope, to give us healing, to give us restoration in our lives. 
right? That's what Jesus came to provide us. And so God has done everything in his power to give us that way out. And it is a way out. The Holy Spirit is with us. He empowers us through the brokenness to find the healing and to sometimes be the source of healing for other people. Do you hear that? God's plan and his purposes for our lives, it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. Our circumstances can't skew our view of God, guys. We can't let that happen because you know what? It's going to make us quit. It's going to make us walk away. One of our greatest acts of worship is clinging to that fact, right? But what we just talked about is clinging to the fact that God is who he says he is, even in the midst of brokenness, fear, even in the midst of horrendous life events. <laughs> Our greatest act of worship is to keep with God in those moments, is to cling to him, to show him our love. I say this a lot, but I just, I think about it a lot when I pray even of just that image in Psalm 91 of just like being underneath his wings and just me being like this kid that's grabbing his thigh. Like my kids do when they want a leg ride, you know, like, I'm just clinging to him. Wherever you go, God, here I am. Like, let's just, let's go. You know, like, I'm just going to start walking with you because I don't have any power on my own anymore. I'm done. I might even be getting dragged behind him otherwise, but I'll rather be dragged than left. I'd rather be dragged along with him than left. Because what I'd be left in is a pretty dark, hopeless, painful place. But God will bring me out. And he will bring you out. But you've got to cling to him. He can't stop. He can't give up. You hear me, church? Can't. I just want you to know if you're here today and you're considering throwing in the towel in any area of your life that you know God has called you to, I'm asking you don't give up. Don't stop. The enemy wants it, and he's trying real hard to get a lot of people to give up. Don't do it. Don't do it. He sees you. He's for you. He's with you. His promises are true. And if you give up, you'll miss out on the waters parting. If you give up, you'll miss out on the walls crumbling down around. You'll miss out on healing. You'll miss out on restoration. You'll miss out on miracles. He leads us through the valley of the shadow of death so that we can find rest, so that we can find goodness, we can find restoration. Don't stop before the waters part. Don't stop before the healing that's waiting for you. You know, be like the woman with the blood issue, that huge crowd around just swarming around Jesus, right? And what does she do? She pushes her way through. She could have easily said, ah, oh, it's just too much. I don't want to be rude. I don't want to, like, push those people out of the way. She didn't give up. She pushed through that crowd and she reached out and she grabbed the hem of Jesus' garment and she was healed. Push through. Reach out. 
grab a hold of what Jesus is offering. Don't stop, friends. Don't stop. We can't. The kingdom needs us. The kingdom needs each and every one of you. I promise that. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. The kingdom needs you. The kingdom needs you. Do you trust him? Do you trust him today? Then trust him. Okay. If you trust him, then trust him. Let's pray. Father, you're so good and you're so gracious to us. Where would we be without you? Where would we be without you? God, this morning, I just, I know that so many of us have uh, been through some really hard things. And maybe in those moments, it's caused some of our faith and some of our trust to wobble, to waver a little bit. God, we pray that same prayer in Scripture that you would help us with our unbelief, you would help us with our lack of trust. Help us to see you for who you are, not a version of who you are, not what other people are trying to tell us you are, not what our circumstances are maybe trying to scream at us, that this is who God is. Help us to know you for you. In fullness, God, reveal yourself more and more to us as we walk through these 90 days of of building our faith from where it currently is. God, we want to leave these 90 days stronger, knowing who you are in a way that we never have before, having a confidence behind your name that we never have before, inviting you into places in our lives that we've never even considered, God. That's what we want. That's what we want to walk away with, a fuller, greater depth to our faith, to our understanding of who you are and who we are to you. Forgive us of our lack of faith. Forgive us of letting fear and control creep in. God, we surrender. We surrender to you one more time. Thank you for receiving us, for loving us, for being with us, Father.